mention, too, of a post that we had on social media, the response that I wanted to give to you concerning the Israeli-Hamas war. And how do we respond? I mean, I went straight to the scriptures. How do we respond to anything? How do we understand and, and respond to any world event, anything going on in our own lives? We go to the scriptures. And I gave us a scripture that was very clear. Hey, we are to pray. Let's be a praying people when we see these news headlines. Let's not deep dive the internet. Let's not sit in a bunch of anxiety. Let's turn to our sovereign God in heaven and let's pray. And what did the scripture tell us? It told us to pray for peace. Peace is the environment where the gospel can go forth. It's conducive for us to reach people with the gospel. And it's God's heart that all would be saved. We want to reach everybody in the midst of this conflict so that they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so one of the responses is prayer. But another thing I added to that is just prayer about what's your responsibility to respond meaningfully and tangibly to assist because so much of our world today is about statements and what you say on social media and everybody getting so heated and divided about the specifics of how everyone phrases everything that they say, when in actuality, who's doing anything? Who's going to do anything meaningfully to assist people who are hurting, to assist people who are in pain, and to actually promote through their actions and their words the gospel to those who are in the midst of this conflict? So... I just would ask you and prompt you as I'm being prompted, let's pray to go beyond the statements on social media. Because even this last series that we just went through, True Wealth, what did it say? We can't just love with actions and with words. I mean, with words. We have to love, excuse me, with actions and in truth. That's when the truth comes into play is when we do something with those sentiments and those feelings that we have that are guided by the scriptures. And, 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 you know, to just transition there, we finished up that series on true wealth. And I wonder, was there anything that ended up being materially different about your life? Think about that for yourself. It was a question I had in the last week of the series, and it's one I still have as a pastor. Did anything change? Because if anything didn't materially change, then what were we doing? What are we ever doing as we come together and we hear God's word and you know, five weeks of all these things that can form us and shape us. And, you know, if you're still trying to figure out what is my response, reach out to me. I'd love to share with you the theology of giving paper that I created in preparation for that series. I created an 18-page paper filled with scripture references that the elders could go through so that we could adopt together. What do we believe about money? What is God saying about this call to generosity in our community so that we know what we believe and what we're going to promote is in God's word? And if it's in God's word, we can stand by it. And if it's in God's word, we're called to apply it. We're called to follow through and do something material and meaningful with what we've heard. You know, th that's what this whole year is about. I told you guys that about a month and a half ago. I said, you know, as I was praying into this year, the series is that we would go through. The theme was fully devoted. How can we hold nothing back in our discipleship but pursue the Lord evermore, knowing what we know? of his kingdom, knowing what we know of his power and sovereignty, knowing his all-sufficient sacrifice, knowing the reward in heaven that is before us, how can we commit ourselves ever more to what he's called us into and become more fully devoted? And toward that end, we're beginning a new series in a book that was instrumental in provoking and prompting me to not only give my life to God, but to also give my life into the ministry. It's a book that we're going to be studying that's off-putting for many people, 
But I think a lot of people are just simply confused by its meaning. And that's fully understandable. You might be a little confused as I start to read it this morning. But perhaps maybe some of us are also put off by it because we're also put off by the truth. The truth can sometimes be unpleasant for us to hear. So what's, what book is it? I mean, I know you're so excited now. That's going to speak to us and maybe, you know, tell us some truth. Today we're beginning in the book of Ecclesiastes in a series we're calling Searching for Significance. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and one of the ushers will pass them to you. You can open up to Ecclesiastes. Of course, the verses will be on the screen. And if this book confounds you and challenges you and stings you a bit as we go through, remember again, this is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. You know, is everything that is good for you in life also pleasant? all the time. You know, I think about my diet. I've been changing my diet. I talk about it a lot because I ate however I wanted for 36 years. So this is a very big deal to me. So I'm changing my diet and I've learned that not everything that's good for me is good to me. Meaning not everything that's good for me and nourishing and healthy are things that I actually like to eat. That's why I've been avoiding them for 36 years. But enough Caesar dressing and I can tolerate it, right? No, 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 that's not what this is about. I've had to learn through repetition for eating these things that are good for me that my my diet, my taste, right, it needs to mature, it needs to be enriched. I, I need to change what I desire. I mean, that may be the same thing for you with the Word of God. There may be times where you read something, maybe the last series on money, and it's kind of off putting for you. And you say, I don't know about this. But is it the Word of God that needs to change? Is it the truth that needs to change? Or is it our taste? Is it our palate that needs to be enriched and matured? This book is going to whittle down any false illusions of life that you or I may have. I mean, it's going to mature us forcibly. It's not even going to whittle it down. It's going to like take a sledgehammer to all those false illusions that we may or may not be pursuing in the world. But faith is not about escapism. Oftentimes, in many cultures, faith is about escapism. But faith is not escapism. Faith is sobering up from all the escapism of the world. The rest of the world is participating in escapism. Faith is about sobering up to the life of true significance. What really matters. And the book of Ecclesiastes is going to help us with that this morning. Let's read starting in chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north and round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. 
It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I think that's enough inspiration for this morning. (laughs) Per verse 1, and in some of the verses that follow, this book is traditionally ascribed and understood to be written by King Solomon, the second king of the United Kingdom of Israel, who lived at the height of its prosperity and military might. Some scholars think that maybe it was a writer from a future generation who was a famous orator and teacher who was merely playing the part of Solomon. Some see its purpose as sort of this philosophical treatise on life, just kind of breaking down life on philosophical terms, and others see it as sort of like this playbook for how to live under an oppressive regime. Some will read that, you know, living life under the sun is a reference to living life under the oppression of the nation of Egypt which the Jews did experience in the 3rd century B.C. Whatever your view, a more elaborate view of authorship or that you believe Solomon wrote it and he's commenting on his own experience, the meaning and significance of this book that's seemingly about the meaninglessness of everything in life, its meaning still speaks and stands just the same. But I want to clarify something that I believe is absolutely essential for us as we uncover its meaning, and that's defining the meaning behind the word translated as meaningless in our Bibles. Because right at the outset, right? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That phrase and that word sort of betrays much of what the Bible teaches, doesn't it? I mean, the Bible says that there's actually a wealth of meaning to be found in our experience of life. Even the book of Ecclesiastes is going to give us direction for how to live. So obviously there is some meaning to be found in life. So should this word be translated as meaningless? The word itself is actually the Hebrew word related to breath. So what he means is life is a vapor. Life is a mist. Everything is impermanent. It appears and then it disappears. It's like an illusion or a mirage. It's like when you exhale on a cold morning. You know, you see it, your breath, but if you try to grasp at it or if you watch it for just a moment, it's going to move right through your fingers. It's going to disappear and be gone. You can see the same word other places. Psalm 144 verses 3 to 4. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. They are like a breath. Their days are a fleeting shadow. That word for breath is the same one that's translated as meaningless here. 
in Ecclesiastes 1. Proverbs 31, verse 30. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. Beauty is a breath. It's a vapor. I'm sorry, Orange County. I hate to break it to you. More bad news. But a woman who fears the Lord, it says, is to be praised. That's going to matter. That's going to stand. So meaningless is not a bad translation per se. I'm not trying to tell you you shouldn't trust your Bibles. But I do think it's jumping ahead to impose a decidedly negative tone on the total message of Ecclesiastes. When we understand the word to mean simply vapor or breath, it changes the way that we read and understand what the teacher proposes is one of the primary problems of life in verse 3. What do people gain for all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Given that you know, we're breath, given that this experience of life is but a vapor, he's proposing this problem. What do people gain? For all their toil and hard work and all the busyness and activity and the running to and fro and all that, what do they get to keep? What's the profit from this experience in life if it's all just a breath? What matters? What's significant? It's like if you and I went on vacation and we began to stay at this Airbnb. When you move into the Airbnb, do you immediately begin a 24-hour smoke of a poke? pork shoulder and uh, you know you, you start planning your neighborhood barbecue to meet everybody that lives around you for the week that you're going to be on vacation and of course not you're not going to be planning like this whole get together I'm going to throw a block party in this other state in this other neighborhood with a bunch of people I'm only going to know for this week and then all those relationships are going to come to nothing like that would be insane you know that you're not investing there because it's just you know you're here and you're gone and in a way, in the same sense, the author surveys the forces that oppose our gain and profit in the world, and he concludes this life is not all that different from a short-term Airbnb stay. Now, what are those forces that work against our gain, our profit under the sun, that make it so much of a vapor? Verse 4, he says, generations come and generations go. A whole group of people shows up, and then that whole group of people is gone. It's not just your life. It's like the whole, the whole lot of us. Here we are, whoop, and then whoop, we're out the door. Like it was said of beauty in Proverbs 31, everyone is fleeting. Everyone is temporary. We're here and gone, and yet not everything is fleeting. Everyone is fleeting, but not everything is fleeting. He says the earth remains forever on its course. Well, we, like a breath are impermanent, we're a vapor. The teacher of Ecclesiastes says there are forces much larger than ourselves that have been here before we were here and will be here after we're gone. Verse 5, the sun rises and sets and then it hurries off to rise again and set again forever on its course. Verse 6, the wind blows from the south to the north and then it goes round and round ever on its course. You can't get to the beginning of the wind, you can't get to the end of the wind. It's just always turning in its course. Verse 7, this is mind-blowing. Like all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea never fills up, never goes any higher, right? It's not taking over all the land for all the water that's going into it. And all that water that flows into it seems to show back up at the top of it and flow back down again from its source. And these verses have the effect of making us feel very, very, very small. Am I right? 
It's sort of like if we could get some drone footage above our head right now. Let's just imagine, you know, in our modern technologically advanced world that you have a drone over your head and you could see the image, you know, of you sitting in this chair. And if we could just, you know, pan up just a little bit, now you can see the whole room, right? You can see the 200 or so people that are gathered in this space. And then if we just pan up a little bit higher, there's the senior center in Central Park. And now you kind of lost view of yourself already, right? You can't see yourself anymore if you're imagining that. But if you pull out even further, there's the city of Huntington Beach. You pull out even further, there's the county of Orange County. And then you pull out even further, and there's the state of California. If we could just keep going up, up, up with the drone, there's America. And then there's the Earth. And we could pull out even further. And then there's the solar system. And even further out, there's the galaxy. And then you could pull out even further, and there's the universe filled with galaxies. And where are we in that image? Where are we in the midst of We're lost in the first few moments of that drone even pulling back. We're out of view within moments with much larger forces all around us always turning in time. We are incredibly small. We're incredibly short. And there's always a new day that's coming that will one day leave us behind and the wind erodes our lives and the water washes us away. What can we gain? What can we keep? What can profit us when we are so small and so short-lived? He goes on in verse 8. All things are wearisome. Aren't you feeling that right now? You're like, oh man. That word just means overwhelming. All things are like more than you can comprehend. It's like exhausting. It's more than one can say. And you're like, well, good. Stop saying it. You know, let's just call it a day. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 8. I'm good, you know. But he doesn't stop. It says, all things are overwhelming, more than one can say, but i got a couple more things to say. i got a couple more chapters here to tell you all about it, because impermanence is not our only problem, but so is also our perpetual hunger. The eye never has enough seeing. The ear never has enough of hearing. This is another problem. We're not just impermanent. We're insatiable beings. We're insatiable. We can't be satisfied. Just think about our entertainment. Just think about Netflix. Do you know how many TV shows are on Netflix? TV shows, like 18,000. 18,000 TV shows. And why, when all of you only watch The Office anyway? The second Netflix lost that, it lost everything. That's on Peacock now. Why? Why the 18,000? It's just this endless stream of entertainment. Google says in 2022, there were 200 million songs online. By the way, we just released a new song. There's 200 million and one new songs online for you to listen to. Your favorite song is out there and you've never even heard it. You'll never even find it. In the massive haystack that is all the songs that have been produced. Now you know why they call it the endless scroll on social media. Because there's more content than you and I could ever view. There's more songs than you or I could ever listen to. And yet people keep scrolling and keep, people keep listening endlessly. But that's the nature of our senses and our desires. Every meal you and I have ever eaten, no matter how good, does nothing to fill our bellies right now. And I just reminded you of how hungry you are, right? You didn't realize it until this moment. Now you're thinking about food. It's your desire. In a sex-obsessed culture, who by indulging 
has ever said, okay, now I feel healthy, my true self, and whole, I'm good from here on out. No one has ever said that. The problem is we want and we need more, but we can never gain or keep what we have or retain what those things have done for us in the past. So we're impermanent, we're insatiable beings, always needing something new. And yet everything that is new becomes old to us, given enough time. Verse 9, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new. Who can say, oh, here is something new. It was already here. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, ah, here is where the writer of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, got it wrong because he didn't see my iPhone 15. (laughs) iPhone 15, that's exactly it. You're on your 15th iPhone. You know, I didn't even know. I put in my notes, the working number was 13. That's how behind the times I am. I had to research which version of the iPhone is it. And I'm just wondering, are they going to keep counting up? How high are we going to count? But if you branded it and you named it something, how many different names could you come up with? Because there's always another one coming out. Because the new one always becomes old so quickly. It's like with cars. Cars were this massive, like, you know, transformative innovation in society just like 120 years ago. But now, you know, cars are just taken for granted. And both those innovations, phones and cars, are just changes in transportation and communication, which we've had forever since we had legs, right? Transportation. Truth is, if we could drive to the stars, we'd take all these problems with us to the furthest reaches of the galaxy, still searching for something we can gain something of greater significance than what we believed brought it before. And in the end, even our very lives are subject to this new becoming old and gone reality. Verse 11, no one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come are as good as forgotten, is what he says. And this is just true, guys. I mean, who of you knows like a substantial story about your great, great, great grandfather and grandmother? Maybe there's a few of you who have a little bit of detail about your great, great, great grandfather and grandmother. You might have like this little, you know, feather in your cap. You know, I know that they came over on the Mayflower. You know, and and you share that little tidbit with other people as like, look, I'm connected with my past. My great, great, great grandfather and grandmother came over on the Mayflower. Imagine if your whole life was lived and it was summarized in a boat ride. Like that's essentially what we have of maybe some of those who are three generations past. Even our own kids are almost out of style before they come into style, before they even arrive. Verse 11 anticipates that they too will be forgotten. That's what I told my son when he got his first game ball for an outstanding performance a couple weeks back in baseball. You know, he got the game ball at the end of it. You know, I just hugged him tight and I whispered in his ear, no one will ever remember this. (laughs) I didn't say that, (laughs) but it's true. It's true. Neither will anyone remember, recall, or care about any of our great accomplishments in the world either. Now, friends, 
this isn't all there is to life, but it is all there is to life under the sun, constrained to this world and from our limited vantage point as those who are made of breath more than we're made of stuff. And as obvious as all this is, boy, oh boy, does this whole world and do we do our utmost to fight a war of resistance against the wind and rain and the turning of the sun, fruitlessly trying to stay young, storing up possessions and wealth that we know we can't keep, moving from here to there, trying to satiate our ever-desire, changing for, for something new, that longing for something new, trying to make a name for ourselves in the world and leave our mark, or trying to project out our feelings of significance on what our children may one day achieve. And I see these motives in Christians the same as anyone else. What is driving all this madness except that somewhere deep inside, we're all trying to gain something under this sun. We're all trying to make a profit and acquire something that we can keep. But there is nothing to be gained. Like the teacher says, it's a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Verse 15, it doesn't matter which way you slice it. What is crooked cannot be made straight. You can't count the things that are lacking. It's all a chasing after the wind. How can you or I catch something that we can't hold? It's all a chasing after the wind. How do you or I catch something and keep something that when we grasp for it, we can't hold it? So what do we do? Does this mean we should all just despair should we go back and say you know what Andrew you were wrong that whole translation of meaningless was right from the beginning you see now you understand why the teacher says even the pursuit of wisdom for gain leads to nothing leads to a chasing after the wind because the more that you know about all this stuff the more grief this is the only sermon you've ever heard that you wish you could unhear because it's just brought you all the more pain but if God breaks down a false sense of happiness, does he do us wrong? If he saves us from a pursuit that will yield us nothing, are we going to be angry with him? If he keeps us from building a big project that's on top of a shaky foundation, is he really harming us? Fact is, the second you and I give up a false pursuit, we can begin a worthwhile one. The minute we stop looking for lasting happiness and satisfaction and peace somewhere it isn't located is the minute we can begin finding it where it actually can be found. And I don't want to give away all the practical and spiritual true wisdom that is going to be shared with us out of this book of Ecclesiastes just here in the first week. But given the problems that this book has presented, I do want to turn to some words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world 
yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. There is life beyond the Son found in the Son of God. There is a life of permanence, of satisfaction, of remembrance, and lasting significance. When we live for gain in this world, as if anything could be gained anyway, all is lost. But when we live to lose it for Him, our life is found. It's not gained, it's found. So I want us to consider in these few moments that we have together in prayer, in light of what's been spoken from Ecclesiastes 1, I've got these questions on the screen. How are you presently tempted to pursue gain or profit in the world? Is it through satisfaction of a desire? What has every desire satisfied led to for you? Lasting fulfillment? Or does that hunger return? If we're trying to gain and profit in this world through the satisfaction of a desire, we're chasing the wind. We're trying to grab a hold of something that we can't hold. Maybe you're tempted to pursue the satisfaction of a desire. Maybe it's this desire to gain through acquiring something new or going somewhere new. Oh, if I just bought this, if I just got this, if I just get to this stage, if I just move myself over to this place then everything will fall into its right place. But we go to whatever that new thing is. And though we may acquire something new, it's still us that has it. And everything that's new becomes old again. It's a chasing after the wind. But maybe that's a temptation that you're seeking to pursue. Maybe it's through personal achievement or the achievements of your children. You think, if I just got to this level, if I just got this amount of notoriety, it's already forgotten. Even what our kids will achieve, this life under the sun, this life in this world, it doesn't stay. No one will be recounting it generations from now. That's a chasing after the wind. And though that may be really hard to hear, again, remember, it's God's grace that would tell us the truth. This world is running wild. There's all this activity, a maddening amount of activity, and can it be summed up in this? Isn't so much of it driven by this? And none of this will yield anything. Why do we believe the lie again when we find out it doesn't prove true? We come up with a new one. We come up with a new one, and it becomes old all over again. The, the Lord would take us beyond that. The Lord would lead us into true life, which can't be gained, but it can be found. It can be given us by God. Let's ask the Lord to do that work in us. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, what truth has been spoken in your word? I mean, truth that I don't know anyone who could deny. I don't know anyone in this world who couldn't listen to these words and, and, and shrink away from what you've said, believer, non-believer. But here we are. We believe the power of your word and we believe your insight into life. And it just, it just is true with our experience, God. And we find ourselves back in the same patterns chasing the wind how can we hold something how can we grasp for something that can't stay in our hands God that won't lead to gain that we can't keep God we are so small we're so short lived even though we have these inflated senses of self this inflated sense of, of impact of permanence God we're impermanent in this life under the sun Lord, we are insatiable. We look back and we've got new desire after new desire and changing desires and expanding desires. And so much of the world is living just to satisfy their desires. Jesus, you said, oh, the path is actually deny yourself because that's not going to yield anything over the long haul. Lord, we want to sober up from the escapism of the world. We want to sober up to what really matters, what's really significant, what really remains. And, and God, we know it's in you. So right now, would you just use this space? Would you, would you spend some time considering these questions? Think, you know, am I seeking to gain? Am I seeking to have some control? Am I seeking to have some profit in this world by satisfying this desire? Am I, am I looking for that new thing? Or am I looking for that new person? Am I looking for that new place that's just going to become old all over again? Am I seeking that achievement? And I've got this, this date on the calendar. And I've got this you know, level on the org chart. If I just get to that, then it's all going to fall into place and I'm going to have something I can keep. Is it for the successes of my kid? Oh, and they just get to this school and they just graduate and they just, then it's going to come to me. Offer that to the Lord. He says, we got to lose those things. We're going to lose them anyway. So just spend some time in prayer considering what the Lord is revealing to you in your own heart where you're tempted to pursue these empty pursuits. even though we know these words to be true there's just this clinging on to that desiring that satisfaction in a feeling or that new thing that we want we, 
we don't want to let go of that achievement. We, we want to keep, even though we know it's not going to be the thing. And the Lord is just there saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me that when you give that up, you're not going to be missing out. You're not going to be losing in life. You're actually going to be opening yourself to find life by giving it up. We're just clinging on to it. Lord, help us to release gain in this world. Help us to release these temptations into your hands that we could begin the journey not of gaining our lives, but finding them in you and receiving them as a gift in you. I pray this in Jesus' name.